This is Common Threads, an interfaith dialogue. Fred Stella, President of the Interfaith Dialogue Association. Welcome to another edition of Common Threads. The pews are emptying virtually everywhere in the higher income world. The Catholic Church is divided and enmeshed in scandal, unable to prevent even historically cleric-dominated Ireland from liberalizing abortion. The once vibrant evangelical movement is losing momentum in the developed world, while the more established Protestant and Jewish congregations are shrinking, some at a rapid rate. Yet rather than an end to faith, this fading of religion may presage the radical reinvention of spiritualism. Just as Christianity replaced paganism at the end of the Roman Empire, rising new faiths built around notions of social justice, the environment, and technology to extend life or even achieve immortality, may supplant the old ones. Thus begins the article entitled, As the Old Faiths Collapse, the Greens, Social Justice Warriors, and Techno-Futurists Aim to Fill the Void, by Joel Kotkin and Alicia Karimska, that recently appeared in The Daily Beast. It's a profound understanding of the spiritual climate of these times. Their predictions may make some uncomfortable, But those who are interested in religion and society dismiss the data collected for making these assumptions are doing themselves and their co-religionists a disservice. Today, we're going to discuss these ideas with one of the co-authors. Described by the New York Times as America's uber-geographer, Joel Kotkin is an internationally recognized authority on global, economic, political, and social trends. His new book is The Human City, Urbanism for the Rest of Us. Mr. Kotkin is the Presidential Fellow in Urban Futures at Chapman University in Orange, California, and Executive Director of the Houston-based Center for Opportunity Urbanism. He is Executive Editor of the widely read website NewGeography.com and writes the weekly New Geographer column for Forbes.com. He is a regular contributor to The Daily Beast and Real Clear Politics. He is the author of seven previously published books, including the widely praised The New Class Conflict, which describes the changing dynamics of class in America. Other past books include The Next Hundred Million, America in 2050. The book explores how the nation will evolve in the next four decades. And The City, A Global History, and Tribes, How Race, Religion, and Identity Are Reshaping the Global Economy. So we welcome to Common Threads, Joel Kotkin. Hello, Joel. Hi. Um, Let's start out by uh, uh, describing your work at the Center for Opportunity Urbanism. What is it that you do? What, What are your goals? Well, we basically work on the issue of how we could turn cities back into being, um, really motors of upward mobility, which is what they've been historically, but they're not so much now, and what sort of policy agenda we should adopt um, to do this. Um, 
my biggest work right now um, coming out in the, the May is a book about the return of what I call neo-feudalism. That, in other words, we're becoming a society that's increasingly frozen in terms of class relations, that there's less upward mobility, um, and that's really a, a primary concern. What is urbanism? Well, that's a very good question, because urbanism has been defined many ways. Uh, one way is to say, well, urbanism really is, think Manhattan, that's urbanism. That's urbanism at the highest order. Uh, it's it's dense, it's transit-dependent, It's um, people live in small places, um, and that is really one definition. Uh, uh, another definition, uh, which was from Frank Lloyd Wright, uh, which I like much better, which is the, you know, the city is wherever the citizen goes. So if somebody is living in a, um, in a exurb of Chicago, 40 miles from the city, they're still a Chicago person. They just live in a different way. And so there's a big debate as to what is urbanism. Is urbanism simply the settled uh, areas um, around the metropolis and covers all of it, or is urbanism something that only applies to small, dense places? Now, throughout the article we're talking about today, I get the impression that sometimes you are opposed to or are mourning the decline of old religions and the growth of the so-called new faiths. In other sections, it seems the opposite. Uh, do you have do you have a stand in this, or are you uh, uh, just a sociological observer here? Well, I, I try to be an observer and an analyst. I think that uh, that those are skills that are being rapidly degraded in our current media environment, where you know you have to be either this or you're that, and then you have you take a predictable menu of all these various things that you're supposed to be doing. Um, that's I think that's not necessarily um, what I think journalists should be doing, even in an op-ed environment. So, you know, I think that you can hold more than one idea at the same time. They're not necessarily contradictory in the sense that I think that, yes, I think we will lose a great deal by losing many of the bonds that traditional religion has has um, had its role with families, lots of very positive things. On the other hand, um, I think we're moving into a very different era, and the question is, will the older religions somehow change and be- and become relevant again, or will they continue as they are now currently becoming uh, less and less influential? Yeah, you give some startling numbers uh, in the article. Uh, you say Catholics at Mass, uh, you know, Catholics who attend Mass, plunged 50% since 1970. Baptists down by about 40. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with uh, with birth rates, clearly. 24% say unaffiliated. Uh, that's overall. And when you get to the uh, 19 to 29 folks, 38% say that uh, they are unaffiliated and 50% of Europeans. Um, that, that's, uh, those, those are significant numbers. Um, and give us some of the uh, the reasons you found for uh, such a such a drop off in attendance and affiliation. Well, I think there are several different things. A, 
people not having children. I mean, one of the reasons that, you know, for, for instance, uh, you know, I rejoined, I joined the synagogues. I wasn't part of one for many years, um, was because I had children. Um, so people not having children, certainly a big factor. Intermarriage. I find when I talk to my students, I teach at Chapman University, the, the, um, one of the things that I find really uh, interesting is how many of them were either of a mixed religious background or they simply had no religious education. So here I find myself speaking to predominantly, you know, nominally Christian students having to explain some of the very basics of Christianity that they themselves never learned. <laughs> um, so I think that part of that is also, you know, the, the sort of erasure of the past the intermarriage, you know, where people say, well, one's Catholic, one's Mormon, well, we won't do either, you know. Um, I think that's certainly a, a, a major factor. Um, and, and, of course, you know, on the side, you know, to be critical somewhat of religions, religions have taken positions, let's say, on gay marriage or on, on the role of women that many modern people might find unacceptable and so they bring they, they they also carry baggage from their past positions now my background in studying history has has been that you have to be very careful not to do that you know just because the catholic church was had a particular stance on a particular issue in you know 25 years ago that, that you can't judge the entire church on that basis because the rest of society also shared those views. You know, we forget that President Obama was against uh, gay marriage. Um, uh, now you probably can't even be think about being a candidate and having that position. So religions are sort of caught in a kind of historical vortex that um, undermines uh, some of their claims to support. This is true. Um, and what are the numbers on on nuns right now? Well, they've been increasing rapidly, particularly, again, as you mentioned, among the young. Um, and what we don't really know about the nuns is we hear different things. Some of them are clearly not interested in these issues or clearly don't have a, in quote, spiritual component to what they're doing. Um on the other hand, um, uh, the there are some who are looking for something spiritual. You know, they they experiment with different things. So one of the really interesting questions is: Is there a way that religions in general will find a way to engage this generation um, that may be somewhat different than the way they engage previous generations? Um, there aren't a lot of you know, good role models out there because there aren't very many religions that that are that are growing very rapidly, um, and the ones that are growing tend to be, in many ways, the most conservative and the most fundamentalist. Whether it's in Judaism or Christianity or Islam, yeah, that is that is quite fascinating. I'm wondering. Well, first of all, uh, when I talk to my colleagues and friends here in Michigan. And uh, the, the the conversation turns to the graying of churches or the graying yes. of synagogues, synagogues etc. Um, and many of them are mainstream and perhaps on the more liberal side. 
And I'm thinking, well, well, why is that? One of the reasons I postulate is that if you grow up in a tradition that says, you don't have to do this, right? So a liberal Christian would say, look, you don't really have to go to church. You know, you can find God in nature. You can find God on the golf course. Well, then you're not going to go to church, maybe. <laughs> and and well, the, the Orthodox, the conservatives in, in all religions really, really are committed to that communal worship. Am I correct? No, I think that's a very important point, and, and in many cases they also provide some important services. I've seen that in some of the evangelical churches in Texas, um, where they really, you know, daycare, they do a lot of very u- useful things. But but I think that, that, that part of the problem is, for a lot of the, you know, the current religions um, is that whereas the the more religious people you sort of have solutions they they don't have solutions and sometimes and i find this is very true for instance in reform judaism as well as in many of the liberal protestant groups they have substituted social justice to serving the congregation we have this argument in my own synagogue all the time you know um what is the purpose of the of the synagogue should the synagogue or the church be a device to promote social justice or, you know, because then, of course, obviously people interpret this differently. So, I mean, very often, let's say a very liberal rabbi gets up there, and, and in our case, female, and, and, you know, you can tell that, you know, her orientation is very much social justice. Then you've got a bunch of, you know, much more conservative, older members who are kind of alienated. And then you've got younger people who, let's say, if they want to get involved with the homeless or they want to get involved... Uh, with issues of, of of race or or the environment, why why use the church as the middleman? You might as well just go directly to those organizations. Um, so I think that what sometimes I think happens is as the liberal, particularly the liberal um, uh, religious groups, have begun to replace serving the spiritual and uh, and familial needs of their peri- of their parishioners, and they substitute that for a social justice m- message. Well, why why do you need the, the church or the synagogue at all? There are plenty of very well organized um, and relatively effective organizations out there that you could go to, um, and you don't have to go through through um, this whole process. The other thing that we're finding is that. Christian, in particular, because a friend of mine does a lot of work on on Christian charities, let's say on refugees, people, instead of giving money to a Christian charity to distribute to refugees, they can go directly to organizations that are directly serving the the refugees. So, and that many many times these organizations have more money, better marketing, um, and of course they're not having to also play the role of of being a church in a physical community. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Common Threads on WGVU-FM. I'm Fred Stella, and with me today is author Joel Kotkin, and we're talking about his article, As the Old Faiths Collapse, the Greens, Social Justice Warriors, and Techno-Futurists Aim to Fill the Void. Um, Yeah, what you just said reminded me, I have uh, two friends who are Jewish, and 
they have an interesting affiliation. They connect with both the Reform Synagogue here in Grand Rapids and the local Chabad house. And and it can make perfect sense if you if you get that understanding that they go to Chabad for a deeper sense of spirituality um, and uh, a, a decidedly Jewish um, ethos. So of, of, uh, this, this one young lady, she just says, when I'm there, I feel more Jewish than when I go to the Reform Synagogue. Right. Uh, and uh, the, the, other, the other person is a gentleman. Uh, he does the same thing. He says, I go to uh, the Reform for my uh, my contribution to society and i go to chabad for uh, the spiritual nurturing that that i need and and one funny thing is uh, uh, he's gay and so he had a, a a private meeting with the rebbe when he decided to affiliate with chabad and and he says look i i just want you to know i'm gay is that a problem and the rebbe said well there's 613 commandments just focus on the 612 you can so, you know, it, 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 it makes sense. Um, well, you know, it's yeah. interesting because I've been working on a study of uh, the Jewish community here in the Orange County, California, where I live. And um, Chabad seems to be doing a much more effective job of reaching, and particularly reaching younger people. Then there are also some other things. An organization like Chabad doesn't have, first of all, they locate all over. They have, they're in a lot of their temples it could be in strip malls the second thing that's very important is is that um that they're very that they're accepting of all sorts of people and you don't have to pay you know one of the things is that that belonging to a church or a synagogue particularly those more established ones can be very expensive um and so many families who are stressed out on costs say well you know what we can go to the high holidays. We can be do the bar mitzvah. We could do, you know, the, uh, all these things at a chabad. And so, and I think we're seeing similar things um, in in Christianity. For instance, I think one of the most important things that's happening in, in Christianity is the movement of Latinos out of the Catholic Church into more evangelical religions um, and to Mormonism as well. And I think partially. Religion has to begin to understand that it is, it has a very different relationship in a society where the family is in decline, community is under pressure, uh, technology is is everywhere. It they it, they haven't re, sort of, you know, sort of rebooted themselves in 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 a way that really addresses any of those issues. The successful ones, I think, are going to be the ones who say. If you have children, we will we we have these services that will will help your, the children, you know, give them some sort of moral sense. That we also help the poor members of our own congregation. Um, those are kind of you know sort of more concrete ways of binding people to a to a church or a synagogue or a mosque in a way that that many times they don't do. And the thing that interests me about that is people who come in contact with the exact churches that you're talking about and how they may feel warm and welcomed and nurtured, taken care of in lean times. And because of that attraction, they are willing 
to accept a worldview that they may not otherwise have. Do, do yes. you know what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah, so, so, like, if if you you know have an issue, say, with the divinity of Christ, if it's an evangelical, or if you have a really hard time with the uh, the uh, eschatology of Mormonism or whatnot, but you're kind of willing to say, you know what, that, that that's okay. I can I can say I believe that because I'm going to get all of these fringe benefits, community, family, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Right, exactly, and I think that that is where I think a lot of our religious leaders, particularly in the mainstream faiths, have just lost, they've just lost it, you know, that they, you know, they've become so indoctrinated with, in quote, progressive ideology, that everything else falls to the wayside. It just isn't what they care about. That doesn't mean that they they don't want to have daycare, or they don't want to have certain social functions, but that their primary mission is an ideological one. And that, I think, alienates people in two ways. One, it alienates those people who don't share that worldview. And, and, and two, it, um, it attracts people who find that, you know, if I'm interested in, in, you know, gender issues, there are all sorts of other groups I can join. I don't have to do that through my church or synagogue. Sure, sure. I know, uh, uh, I know someone who is a, a pastor in a liberal denomination, and he's actually closer to your neighborhood. He moved uh, from here to uh, to California. I don't know uh, exactly which city, but he was so focused on the social gospel that he invited the homeless in his area to essentially live right at the church. And his his uh, flock diminished from a couple of hundred to about thirty. <laughs> wow! Yeah, yeah. Seriously, that's very interesting. I I know. <laughs> if you want to study it, uh, we'll, we'll we'll email. I'll I'll give you more information. Yeah, I'd love to see that. Yeah, yes. I mean, but I think that this is you know, and this is part of what we we see in so many other fields that as. Like I, I know in, in the new book I have some descriptions of uh, the education system, and I think among divinity schools seem to be among the most uh, lopsided ideologically of any particular part of of the education system. I mean, you know, they're they're as bad as English professors. Uh- now that's interesting. <laughs> I didn't realize there was an issue with English professors in, in, in colleges these days. Oh, well, I mean, basically certain prof- parts of the university have become particularly um, tilted in one direction. Um, I mean, that, that's generally true across the board, but it's much more, um, much more uh, evident. In, ah. Yeah, in certain things, notably... Um, uh, you know, like obviously sociology has a lot of it, uh, but English has a lot, and 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 one of the highest was was schools of divinity. Uh, and next week, I want to talk uh, uh, a bit more on that. We only have a, a few minutes left, uh, um, Joel. But can you uh, end this program by saying what might we be learning, or is there anything to learn? from the movement of the social gospel in the uh, earlier part of the 20th century, which seemed to blossom 
You know what I mean? Why is it that the social gospel attracted so many people to mainstream Protestantism? Then, well, I would argue that the problem is, and you know, I I consider myself sort of a a homeless Democrat, basically. But but the the reality is that the old social reform actually worked at how do we make people's lives better, and the new social reform. I think, in large part shaped by postmodernism, um, is much more concerned with establishing narratives, you know, controlling how people speak, what they think, as opposed to, um, you know, Jane Addams or you know, going out and 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 actually helping the poor or 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 supporting um, programs to teach people skills. The the old reformers. Yes, they had a moral component, but they were also very concerned with actual physical improvements. And they were not asking people to throw out all the, the you know, everything, um, you know, to throw out their familial values, how men and women react. That You know, that was not at the center. They may have had, in quote, progressive views, but that wasn't the center. The center was, how do we make things better for working families? And what are the policies that actually work, as opposed to some sort of giant consciousness raising? You make a very good point, uh, Joel. Um, we're down to the wire for this uh, episode of Common Threads, but this is a very fascinating conversation, and I hope you can join us next week. We can continue. It would be my pleasure. You're listening to Common Threads here on WGVU. And my guest today, Joel Kotkin, he is the co-author, along with Alicia Karimska, of the article, As the Old Faiths Collapse, the Greens, Social Justice Warriors, and Technofuturists Aim to Fill the Void. And you can find that at thedailybeast.com. Please join us again next week here on Common Threads. Common Threads is a production of WGVU in cooperation with the Interfaith Dialogue Association. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the station, its underwriters, or Grand Valley State University. In many cases, the participants on this program represent themselves and may not be designated spokespeople for the faiths they represent. Send questions and comments by email through our website www.interfaithdialogueassociation.org Thank you for listening and join us again next week for another edition of Common Threads. Common Threads